taking a deep dive into the stairway from earth to heaven, and it consists of the ancient sacred texts, the writings of the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, ascetics, all of those great people who lived on the world from all the ages, from all the world religions, all the tribes, all the cultures, and we are traveling here because we want to discuss the evolution of the soul into God's many mansions through mystical training and out-of-body travel. And we're going to be traveling through the heavenly, purgatorial, and hellish realms with the goal of the purification of the soul, which requires us to understand what the defects, cravings, desires, fetters, and attachments are that prevent us from seeking enlightenment, which prevent us from attaining to union with God, prevent us from actually accomplishing the mission for which we were sent to this world in the first place. So this is really, really important that we travel here. So why are the ancient sacred texts so important? They are so important because the ancient sacred texts are the last words of the great souls that they left behind of what they discovered before they left earth for the very last time, which means they left the keys to what it is that we have to achieve here in this realm in order to proceed on higher as souls evolving through this material universe and into non-material universes into the evolutionary spectrum of all life. And so this all culminates into a threefold path, which involves purification, discrimination, and discipline, which is what we're going to be diving into. And we are going to take with us my friend Brian Malam, who is also the producer of the documentary film, The Grand Phases of the Soul, which covers these three phases of purification, which are much more deeply outlined in one of my books, The Mysteries of the Redemption, a treatise on out-of-body travel and mysticism. Um, so let's say hi to Brian. Brian, hi, thank everyone. you for joining us. My pleasure. It's an honor. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It's a very big honor to have you with us. And Brian's going to be really helpful because he's going to bounce ideas back and forth with me as well as help us when we take our journey to the Pure Lands to meet with the prophets, mystics, sages, ascetics in their realm, which is a beautiful place to go. And we're going to travel there all together in a hypnotic journey later in the day. So thanks, Brian, for joining us. Is there anything you want to say about the documentary film that you put together for us, The Grand Phases of the Soul? Um, you know, um, I, it's, it's, uh, it's tough for me to say anything about it. I just, uh, you know, check it out for yourselves. And it's, just, it's as uh, Marilyn mentioned, it's based on Mysteries of the Redemption. And you know, she's had like 30,000 out-of-body experiences, you know, and she has written over 100 books, and she's done an anthology, an encyclopedia of all the religions of the earth, and she has over 5,000 sacred texts. You know, I've been to her house. I've seen them. I've held on to them in my hand. She's like, you should be honored to be holding these, and I'm like, wow, these are great. So, I mean, she has made it her life's mission to seek out the truth and seek out 
um, the evolution of our own soul. And her mission is to is to bring it to help everybody else and raise everybody else up. And so, you know, I'm glad to be a part of it. And so basically it was just uh, her and I having some conversations about it. And then I just put some cool images to it and some music and what it's Marilyn's work. And I'm an honor to be a part of it in any way I can. So have fun today. This is going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. What you did was amazing. And I'm very honored um, by the work you did with the documentary and with everything else, including, you know, the vignettes that you've put together on our site, as well as the, the podcast for Dialogues with the Mystics. And we're planning to do more projects together, which mm -hmm. I am also very excited about. So we'll be doing that. Some of them might involve the ancient sacred texts mm. and also some of the forgotten mystics that um, are very near and dear to my heart. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, a couple things that, you know, you guys can do to, um, to uh, you know, uh, follow along during this uh, workshop. Go to the website at outofbodytravel.org and click on Out of Body Books. And when you go there, you can download any of the books that we're using or talking about um, for free there. So The Mysteries of the Redemption, a treatise on out-of-body travel and mysticism is downloadable for free there. We'll also be using The Mysteries of the Redemption devotional. You can download that. Um, Astral Projection Made Easy. Um, we'll also be using a book called Near Death and Out-of-Body Experiences, Auspicious Births and Deaths of the Prophets, Saints, Mystics, Sages, and Ascetics in World Religions. So feel free to download those books and any other ones you want um, as well. But you can follow along with some of the things we'll be talking about uh, during this workshop. So just to recap a little bit of what we already talked about uh, last week in our previous session, we were talking about the purification journey, the importance of mystical theology. So mystical theology is um, literally the science of the soul, but it involves, we talked about how mystical theology is the science which treats and acts um, as regarding experiences and states of the soul, which can't be produced by human effort or industry, even with the ordinary aid of divine grace. That de definition comes from uh, Father Augustine Poulain in 1912. Um, so what we're talking about here is private revelations, visions, the union growing out of these between God and the soul. We talked about how the reason why God is so important is that when you are seeking a destination, you have to keep that destination in view. If you do not have a destination in view, you're like a buoy that is kind of floating around on the waves of the ocean and going where the waves may take you, where it will, where it may go, where the winds, where the storms may drag you. If you have your one centered focal point, which in the case of the journey of the evolution of the soul has to be God, then you have a destination point which despite the winds, the storms, and all these other things, you will still have this one direction that you are moving forward and uh, going towards. 
And so that's what we were talking about before. It's so important that the, the person understands that you have to have this direction. So, you know, the contents of mystical theology, according to Augustine Poulain, are oftentimes doctrinal, but they're also experiential. Um, so it's not only recording the experiences of souls who are mystically favored, but it also includes rules that are laid down for their guidance, which are based on the authority of scriptures, ancient texts, on the teachings of the fathers, on the explanations of mystical theologians, and many of them are also eminent mystical theologians. So rules and pretexts, precepts, are usually framed for the special use of those who have the occasion to direct souls in the ways of mysticism so as to preserve them from error while facilitating their advancement. Why is this important? This is important because the way of out-of-body travel and or mysticism can be fraught with error if a soul is uh, prone to illusion or delusion. And we are all prone to that, especially in the beginning stages of our purification, because we are not aware or um, properly uh, educated as to the types of things which can lead us astray. And this is another thing we discussed before is the formation of our conscience has to be part of this path because if we do not um, form our conscience, then we will continue moving in a direction that is based on what we currently understand. And what we, under, what we have to realize is, is that we are undertaking this journey because there is a need for it. We have a tendency as human beings to think, okay, well, this feels okay to me, this feels right, or whatever, and we move towards it, not giving it enough um, discernment, enough discretion, enough discrimination. We don't think about these things, we do not actually reevaluate the way that we evaluate things, the way that we think, the way that we do, the types of things that, the way that we make our decisions about um, good, evil, and all that lies between. It is only by going through a successive purification process, which involves the formation of a fully new conscience, that we can change that direction from here to here. So we have to actually reform. And so how do we do that? Um, there's a lot of things involved in it. Um, you know, all the spiritual masters talk about the importance of prayer, meditation, and spiritual reading. And in mystical theology, this is very important as well. You cannot, um, you cannot um, reform a conscience without proper spiritual reading. So it has to be stuff that is going to direct you in a direction of uh, something deeper, higher, 
and greater. Um, and so it's going to require more of us. It's not going to be the easy path. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be something like, you know, requiring teensy, eensy little changes. We're going to have to go through catastrophic changes in the way that we perceive, the way that we think. In the out-of-body travel states, we will actually be shown energetically where we are flawed and where we are doing things that are incorrect, that need to be changed. So let's just back up just a little because we're talking about having out-of-body experiences and most people watching this may not be having them yet. But let's say, let's go to a quote from a, one of our golden writers, Father Garagou Lagrange, one of the eminent mystical theologians that we talk about um, in his great work, The Three Ages of the Spiritual Life. This is one of the things he says, and I want you to listen to it from the standpoint of understanding that energy is something that we generate and energy follows course. Anything regarding out-of-body travel or mysticism follows this rule. Energy follows course. A lot of people do not realize that out-of-body travel events will begin to actually be generated just by the nature of a soul entering upon a purification journey. And this is what Father, um, Father Garagou Lagrange is referring to when he says this, quote, in proportion as the soul grows, the acts of humility, faith, hope, tend under the influence of the Holy Ghost to fuse in a gaze of ardent love. Hence, a simple method useful at the beginning should gradually give place to docility to the Holy Ghost who breathes where he will. So we are again talking about we must be looking towards God. We must also be making acts of humility, faith, hope, and by these things, by these virtues, by practicing them, by bringing them into our external life, energy is being drawn in that will follow course and it will change the nature of our energy. And you will see that this is actually part, if you look at astral projection made easy, you're gonna see that the whole first section relates to the purification process. And the reason this is, is because just beginning the purification path is one of the biggest instigators of out-of-body experiences. People are always asking for techniques and they um, are always surprised when you point out it's not like a particular vibration or a particular tone or a particular, it is that you bring it in by the nature of performing the function of why we incarnate here, which is the grand phases of the soul, purification, discrimination, and discipline. So when you begin to examine the soul and uh, go through some of these things, these things begin to actually happen in and of itself. As Father Adolf Tanqueray, another uh, 
amazing and eminent uh, mystical theologian who wrote a really great work called The Spiritual Life. He says, the first step towards perfection is the sincere, ardent, and constant desire to attain it. And so what we see here is a comment from a Catholic mystical theologian that is not that different from what the Taoists talked about, which is, you know, going back to the common Taoist story of the master who holds the head of the disciple underwater after the disciple says, what must I do to attain enlightenment? And the master puts his head underwater and he comes up and he says, when you desire God the way you just desired breath, that is when you will attain enlightenment. Father Tanqueray is saying the exact same thing here. So we're seeing that these, these great um, prophets, saints, mystics, etc., they are all saying the same things in their different phase, in the different ways that they uh, express how they um how they express in in the spiritual life so going back now to um uh mystical theology itself um we understand that mystical theology is something that is usually imparted by spiritual masters in their personal direction of souls and again we're back to Father Augustine Poulain in 1912, speaking in um, Mystical Theology, a book that he wrote. Um, it's often inculcated by seminaries and novitiates, special conferences and courses of spiritual reading. And you know, we see this in the, in the Catholic Christian tradition, there's a whole slew of Catholic mystical theologians, the ones that are most well-known would be people like St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, St. Catherine of Siena. <clears throat> um, uh, those are some of the biggies. There's plenty more. St. Therese of Lisieux. You know, these are the ones that people have heard of, but there are hundreds of them. And this is the case in every religion. It, it doesn't, it's not limited to Catholicism. It happens in the Sufi faith. You have Rumi, you have um, Imam Ghazali, you have, um, in fact, when we do do stuff on the Forgotten Mystics, there's quite a few of these Islamic Sufi masters, mystics who have been forgotten that we will want to cover. The Sufi mystics are a very fascinating subject. Of course, we have Jewish mystics um, and of all faiths, but these are, um, the people and the places in the spiritual reading that we want to be looking for. A lot of times people are looking for the, they're looking in the wrong place for the direction that they need for, uh, for actual enlightenment, actual advancement of the soul. We have to go to the true core mystical masters. So we don't want to look at things that are watered down. Um, there are a lot of things that we can get that would be like almost like tabletop spirituality. Those kinds of things make you feel good, but they're not going to, they're not going to chisel you. They're not going to hew you out of stone and make you the new man, the new creation that you came here to become. And that is what is required of us 
in order to actually progress in this realm. So in mystical theology, one of the things that you often see is that there are different forms of prayer. Um, so you have the four ordinary forms of prayer, vocal, mental, effective, and the prayer of simplicity or supernatural prayer. Um, the last form um, borders on the mystical, and um, the last form is often called active or acquired contemplation, and it is difficult to distinguish it from passive or higher contemplation, which is often associated with, with mystical union, according to Augustine Poulain. And so what is the difference between these? These are, this is important. So you have vocal prayer, which is the kind of prayer that you do vocally, whether in public or in private. Um, and it can involve the, um, it can involve the, you know, the prayers that are more uh, written out for you, or, you know, more uh, prepared types of prayers, things like the Holy Rosary, the Buddhists have prayers like these, the Om Mani Pemi Hung, things like this, things that people do together. These are vocal prayers. You have mental prayer, which is um, more like a meditative prayer, which brings in the action of the soul, the memory, imagination, and intellect, and it brings in the meditation on mysteries, principles, or truths regarding the action of God in the soul and in the world. Um, effective prayer is a form of prayer that involves bringing in the emotions and feelings, um, and it's something that you often would be considered when you feel the Holy Spirit, when people are really feeling the Spirit when they're praying, when they're really in the spirit, so to speak. Um, and then the prayer of simplicity or supernatural prayer is when, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say what St. Teresa of Avila said about the prayer of simplicity or supernatural prayer, because she said it best, which is, quote, those who are able thus to enclose themselves within the little heaven of their soul where dwells the creator of both heaven and earth, and who can accustom themselves not to look at anything, nor to remain in any place which would preoccupy their exterior senses, may feel sure that they are traveling by an excellent way, and that they will certainly attain to drink of the water from the fountain, for they will journey far in a short time. And so this prayer of simplicity, this supernatural prayer, is often summed up um, in simple words, where it's literally, you've brought this gaze of God into, inside of you. And literally, you are able then, and this is what we're going to be working towards in our meditation that we will do later in the day, which is creating that sacred space inside of our soul, where we meet with, with the masters and with our own personal master who's guiding us, but we also want to create this sacred place where God can reside within us at all times that we can reach. We can reach it every time we seek to. We close our eyes, whether we meditate, when we go to sleep, when we're taking a walk, we want to create a place where God can rest within us where whatever might be happening around us, there is 
a nest, a, a, an egg, a place that um, we can reach God at any moment. It's very important. I, 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 just any thoughts, Brian, while we're talking about that? No. Everything okay. is... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just totally following you. I'm in. Oh, okay. And so, you know, this is uh, going on from there. Father Grau was a great mystical theologian as well. And he goes on to define this place. And this is how he puts it very well. It's from the Manual for Interior Souls. He said, the truly devout man is a man of prayer whose sole delight is to be with God and to speak with him and who scarcely ever loses his sense of the presence of God. I think about this, contemplate this, that wherever you are, um, the presence of God is never lost to you. Um, and we'll go back to this after I finish this quote in, in terms of the, this thought. Not that he is always thinking of God, for that is impossible here below, but because he is always united to God in his heart and is guided in everything by his spirit. To pray, he has no need of a book or of a method or of great efforts of the head or even of the will. He has only to retire quietly into himself. There he finds God. There he finds peace. Sometimes a peace full of joy. Sometimes a peace in spite of dryness. But always a deep and real peace. He prefers the prayer he gives much to God and in which he suffers. The prayer in which self-love is undermined gradually until it can find nothing to feed upon in short a simple prayer denuded of all Im images or of perceptible feelings and of all those things which the soul can remark or experience in other kinds of prayer a couple of things in here that i just really want to pull out <laughs> um so like when we're talking here going up here to who scarcely ever loses his sense of the presence of God. This pulls me back to this practice of the Orthodox Christians who do, you know, the practice of the philokalia, which is, um, it was, to, they wanted to follow the admonition of St. Paul, which was to pray without ceasing. And so the Jesus prayer was born of this, which is Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us sinners. No, sorry, messed that up. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. And this is a, a prayer that you can pray at all times in your heart, in your mind. And this is one of the ways that the Orthodox created to um, pray without ceasing. But what Father Grau is saying here is this quiet. And so was St. Teresa of Avila. Let's go back to what she said here. This little heaven of your soul. And I think that is so important for us to know that we can create a little heaven inside of our soul, wherein where whatever might be happening around us, that will always remain. There was a, a few experiences that I shared in the Mysteries of the Redemption, where I was shown that there were some very privileged souls during the Holocaust who were able to do this. 
They were able to transcend despite the fact that they were in concentration camps and enduring great, horrible, and terrible sufferings. They were able to be present with God even so during the entire time and even then through their own deaths. And so there is, there is an ability that we have, but, but it has to come from this understanding, this connection, and this focal point, this one-pointed attention that starts on God. This is where we, we begin. And so, you know, the purification has to begin there. Now, um, one of the things here I also wanted to pull out was this, the prayer in which self-love is undermined gradually until it can find nothing to feed upon. I'm curious, Brian, if you know why I love that line. <laughs> okay. uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I, I can say volumes about that, but uh, you go ahead and tell us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what you'll find in the Mysteries of the Redemption is that this is exactly how the process of purification works. We are shown incident by incident, piece by piece, we are taken apart. We are shown where we are selfish, where we have been unkind, where we have been unaware or insensitive. We become our... I'm going to go back to those exact words again, uh, because that's what he's saying. He's saying our self-love is undermined gradually. It's done in a way that is so kind to us. It is so kind to us, but it's gradual. But until it can find nothing to feed upon, which is it shows this miraculous beauty of what God can do when we allow him into the soul to do the purification process. Because we can't do it. We can't do it because we are, we are finite beings. He's an infinite being. And when God comes in, that's what happens. He moves within us gradually and makes these alterations, these changes, our energy, our vibration alters and changes and is taken higher. Our perceptions, everything that we have within us that is not correct or might be slightly false, all these things are brought to our attention and we start changing them. They alter, a slight alteration here oh my goodness, I realized I didn't see this before. I'm not going to do that ever again. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to change this. I'm going to alter this. I'm going to change this. Before you know it, there is nothing left of our selfishness to feed upon because God has purified it all out and made it pure, made it clean, made it whole. And this goes back to our question that we want to we want to talk about, which is, this is why God has to be a part of this whole process. Why does God matter? Because we cannot do this 
without God. God is the energetic, the universal force that moves, bends, sways, and alters all things. If we want to take God out of the equation, we're literally like separating ourselves from the source of life. So we have to have that source of life in order to transform, in order to be able to see, in order to be able to go into um, a different area. And so um, one of the things we talked about in our last thing was the importance of being open to discovering our predominant fault. And we talked about how uh, the seven deadly sins um, uh, is one of the ways that we can identify that. So we can review that. And then we want to counter our predominant faults with the, the seven virtues. So let's just review that quickly. The seven deadly sins include pride, envy, anger, sloth, avarice, gluttony, and lust. And remember, this is, you know, just the seven deadlies. There's all sorts of things that go below that. Same with the virtues. You have chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, patience, kindness, and ability. And what are you going to do with this? If you can determine what your primary sinful push might be, for a lot of us, it's lust then you're going to want to counter it with other virtues. So chastity, temperance, but you could add things like prudence, um, you know, things like this where, so um, you're going to start thinking of how do you counter the things that you struggle with. You're going to start looking at your flaws or your failings in a very non-judgmental way. You're going to understand that these are hindrances. These are fetters. These are things that hold you back. These are one of the things that I think is so important for people to understand, especially, you know, about lust, <laughs> since it's so common. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because our Blessed Mother, even at Fatima, said so many people end up um, hurling themselves into, you know, the hell realms over lust issues. And she talked about that in 1917 in Fatima. Um, so it's obviously a common sin that we all share. The thing about lust is that what's happening with lust is that people are seeking love, but they are seeking it falsely. And so what has to happen, let's take lust, let's just take lust. So what has to happen if you suffer from lust, you have to start examining what is it that you are seeking? Because if you are seeking a, a, a dark version of sexuality, um, a destructive, a destructive manifestation of sexuality, um, the ultimate reasoning behind that you could find possibly leads to something related to, you know, I'm really just trying to find love, but I'm doing it in a very self-destructive and mutually destructive way. 
And this is what we often find with um, a lot of these vices. Let's go to greed. Is there greed in there? Okay, so we'll use avarice um, because greed would be under avarice. So what happens in greed? People are looking for safety. They want safety. So I'm trying to, what I want to see here, and I'm help me, let me know if I'm if this is making sense, Brian. What I'm trying to show is that people are looking for something that um, has a noble purpose, but they are turning it into an ignoble one. So it's turning into the wrong direction. So if you're looking for safety and you manifest it as greed, then you are now excluding you know, others from that safety. Same thing with lust. You're looking for love, but you're excluding others from the true, excluding yourself and others from the true nature of eternal love. And so it's going into this destructive expression of love. And so the remedy for all of the seven deadly sins, it always ends up in the same place. Someone is suffering from avarice and greed, and I'm looking here. The reason I'm doing this is because this is my one-pointed direction where I'm looking at God. If I want safety, the only place where I am safe is here with the Lord. If I want true eternal love, the only place where that is to be attained in reality is with God. But what happens is in our human forms, we try to express these qualities in ways that are incorrect. And so it's not that um, we're just, you know, horrible, evil people. It's that we are doing things incorrectly. We are looking in the wrong direction. <coughs> and so what happens is we... <laughs> we keep looking in the wrong direction. We are looking around us. We're looking in the material world. Sometimes we're looking below us. And we are expressing things in a very grounded fashion. Um, eternal love, karmic love, um, even demonic love are extremely different things. And that's why you can have lust, and then you can also have these higher expressions of love, and they're completely different things, but yet someone might be actually looking for the very same thing, but expressing it in a very dark manner. Same thing with greed. Yes? Yeah, so we, in order, again, you know, there's a prerequisite for us to come here as souls, is right. we have to have certain proclivities that we're right. here to work on. And right. so the seven deadly sins are kind of the major ones. And right. so again, everything about these seven deadlies all have to do <laughs> with created things that are just temporary. Right? right. It's nothing to do with the eternal. But as far as like any one of these, like I talked to you and like if I was honest, I have all the seven deadlies. And right. so, so do you and so do yeah. most all of us. But then we have like two or three that are the strongest right. for exactly. us to have the opportunity to work on. But any one of those can take us down to the deepest, darkest 
realms that exist and they get become energized too by the dark and so you know i once i mentioned to you that i asked a question to a saint from india and i guess there's a lot of saints in india and, <laughs> uh, swami g and okay. i said you know um what is uh uh, that was another question I asked, and what is the most important thing that we can do each day? And that was keep appointments with yourself. But I asked him, like, in your divine heart, what is, uh, if you could hear any, you know, if you could have anyone ask a question, what would that question be? He goes, well, um, question, there's only one question. Are you or are you not connected to God? That's the only question. But I have a prayer and it's one word and it's God. And I'll just repeat it all the time, like a mantra. So I'll be washing dishes and I'll just be like, God, God, God. But I'm not just like <laughs> mentally like, oh, you know, cause we can get things stuck in our head pretty fast. You know, yeah. like a tune, like boom, boom, boom. I have a three year old. <laughs> and so, you know, whatever like thing he was just listening to and I had to like, you know, watch. Then it's stuck in my head and I'm like, ah. Oh. So I just right away go, God, God. And that's what's in my head at that point. Um, whatever. My wife just walking by there. Uh, <laughs> but um, so for me, especially when it comes to the seven deadlies, I, when something would come up, I could go to that, to the God. And the God wouldn't be just like some kind of mental thing. It's something that's connected to my heart. Right. There and then also, also with that, um, because I know what my, like lust was a very strong one for me. Yep. Still comes up all the time, something I work on. And so for me, I listened to, you led me to a YouTube video on exorcism. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's one of the only ones that the Catholic Church actually I would authorized. Do. Yes, it's an authorized. There is one, at least as of our filming, there's still one that is authorized. Yes, on YouTube. I would listen to that one uh, quite a bit. And then I also use as an exorcism a prayer that you gave me, and it's Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to do the rest. Just do that whenever something comes up. So I would have, uh, you know, one of these seven deadlies kind of grab hold of me because it never really made me feel good. It never made me feel fulfilled. It never was right. going to. It was never going to like get to a place where I'm like, okay, well, I'm totally fulfilled now. Great. You know, it right. was something. And, exactly. I was being, and it was being fed by something darker. It was being fed by, uh, you know, demons. It was being right. fed by the dark. And it was trying to take me away from light and take me away from my potential as a soul. Um, so, you know, any bit of that, like you just had done the quote about getting rid of, it wasn't necessarily selfishness, but of the self. And to me, what that said was the parts of ourselves that aren't eternal and aren't gonna be for our highest, greatest possible potential good for our soul. And, you know, and, and also to assist others. And especially if we're trying to like get something from and try to objectify. That was, that's what's weird to me is like when we were here on earth and it's these, you know, temporary created things that God created. 
And then we're like, we're like, oh yeah, I really want to get a lot of that, you know? And it's just like, yeah, you know? yeah. it's not like, you know, like we, we die and our souls, we go somewhere and they're like, where's your stuff? You know, just, you know, I had over a billion dollars on earth. Oh yeah? Well, how much you got now? <laughs> you got nothing, get in line. Right? A lot of people, that was souls there. But yeah, so that's what just came up for me about that. Well, I like that you appreciate that, that you shared that because that's really helpful, I think. And, you know, it reminded me too a little bit of so like some of the writings of St. Alphonsus Liguori. He talks about in, he, he wrote a, a whole slew of books. They're called the Complete Ascetical Works of St. Alphonsus Liguori. And in one of them, it's called Preparation for Death. And it's a masterful work, highly recommend it. You know, but he talks about in great detail and, you know, it's interesting, too, because this is also something that you see in Buddhist texts. It's not a, um, it's not limited to, uh, you know, this is a Catholic writer I'm speaking about, but there are Buddhist meditations on this very same thing, meditation upon death. And he would speak about the um, remains of the queen being six feet below ground right next to the pauper, you know, and that you know, he would talk about the various levels of decomposition, and so do the Buddhist monks. The Buddhist monks would actually go to a graveyard, and part of their meditation and contemplation practice would be to meditate upon the various stages of decomposition, and it was to really, uh, really uh, help the soul to recognize the impermanence of this life, this body that we have, recognize that death too shall come to us and all of our pomp, all of our circumstance is completely irrelevant and will no longer be. And you put that so very well, which is, you know, everything that, you know, so we incarnate here and we do, we, we look around just the way you described and we're, you know, oh, I want some of this and I want some of that. And this is where the examination begins, you know, and one of the things in mystical theology that we talk about is this examination of conscience. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you can do this. Some people do it with examining their conscience according to the Ten Commandments. Um, you can also examine your conscience on a, you know, and it's recommended you do it at least once a day. Some people will start out doing it more than that um, just to get going. And then you, you start you creating an examine at the end of the day that works for you. You can do the Ten Commandments. You can examine according to virtues and vices. Um, you, and, and you want to be very honest with yourself about, I could have been kinder to this person here. So I'm going to work on that. You want to be, be very you know, uh, detailed. You, know, you don't want to give yourself a pass. And it's hard to do because, um, you know, because like you said, and I completely concur, we all suffer from all of the deadly sins. And there are times when we do better. And there are times when we fall right back in, right into the pit, you know, and, and then we have to uh, go back to what um, Mother Angelica used to say, the difference between the saints and us is that the saints just kept getting back up every time they fell. We have to do that. So when we realize, oh crap, I just lost my temper again. I'm such an idiot, you know, we get back up and say, okay, 
I did. But you know, okay, you know, you you uh, you do the processes you need to do. You confess to God. You confess in whatever way works for you in your particular faith practice, um, and you go through that examination and you do it again. You do it again because this is how we break the habit of the various things that we do. And you know, you'd mentioned also the objectifying, which is definitely. Uh, a big part of manifest existence. We objectify money, we objectify people. And what we have to now then do in the purification path, we have to see everyone and everything in a completely different light, which is we have to look at all the people that we come in contact with as souls who uh, we have to see them from the standpoint of how am I impacting them to either forward their journey, their evolutionary journey, or to actually harm it? We have to look at um, financial means differently. We have to look at wealth differently because we start seeing now that all things, all wealth comes and belongs to ultimately God. So we become stewards of something greater now where it's not just well it's my money i can do whatever i want with it it becomes i am a steward now of something greater and while i am stewarding this wealth and you know there's the parable of the stewards in the uh, new testament that people might refer back to which is while i'm stewarding it i must use it for the most benefit you know we all have to pay our bills and get by you know but we also have to use not just our wealth, but our wealth of personal gifts. Just as Brian, you have so generously given of the gifts that God has given you to work on creating the grand phases of the soul, the documentary and the work you've been doing. These are the things we give of the gifts that God has given us. We give things that will encourage, nourish and redeem others and this is how we go back to the ancient sacred texts because that's what the prophets saints mystics sages and ascetics were doing by leaving those works behind for us they were putting all their energy and effort many times it was very difficult because they had to do it on papyrus and other things to and try to find ways to preserve but they were preserving for posterity words that would be redemptive, words that would literally, just as the mystical visions I've had, the out-of-body experiences where I see those books, the ancient sacred texts, forming the staircase to heaven. Because every one of them provides another means, another link, another energetic truth that takes us one step closer to um, reaching towards God. And, in, you know, in the spirit of that, um, let me go back here. In the spirit of that, I wanted to, you know, go back to some of these wonderful, wonderful pieces of gold, which is what we call those words from the ancient sacred texts that they've left us because that is the true gold. And we're trying to redefine wealth. 
So, you know, on that point, I had just read The Training of the Mind in the Great Way. Yes. Yeah. And one of my I, faves. Yeah, <laughs> and I love this part where it was spoken about when you meet a soul and you treat them as if they've been your mother in a past yes. life or perhaps many lifetimes. And then as a mother, of course, as you know, and uh, as I can see from my wife, it's like there's a lot of sacrifice. And you know, sometimes you have to make hard choices and that could karmically even affect a soul to where it could go to some place and they would end up doing something they never would have done. But, and so I struggle a little bit and I'm bringing this up because sometimes nowadays I want to really look at every single soul like, okay, that's my mother in a different lifetime or maybe many lifetimes. But when they're doing something that I'm so against, sometimes it brings up things in me and I feel like I want to judge. And I, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. Um, you know, I run a, I get angry and I see things and there's, there's such injustice in that sometimes. And what would be your advice to everyone out there when things happen and it's so potent and it triggers us? You know, how do we keep that compassion? Well, it's a great question. So I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, there's two, there's two aspects of this. So let's look at it first from the purification aspect, which is in the purification aspect, we want to keep the compassion. We want to be able to not judge. Um, and part of the way that we do that is literally through uh, continuing to practice. And why, why is that the case? Because what happens is that the longer we practice, the more that we will discover within ourselves how much we need forgiveness for ourselves. I, I've often talked about this um, experience I had um, it was very much like a life review after a serious illness that I had. It was like a life review that people talk about with near-death experiences, but I had it not during a near-death experience. And I was able, literally went through things I never would have remembered on my own from my childhood and my whole life. And um, I was just weeping. It went on for a good two weeks. And this was my, you know, this was not the first time. I had one, you know, many decades before where I went through the first really big one. And that was in an out-of-body experience where I was shown that everything I had done, I was 29 at the time, had self-serving motivation. So even the good that I had done had self-serving motivation. And so its value was greatly lessened because of that. This time was probably at least... 15 years later, and I was being shown my whole life, and I was just in tears because I was realizing so many things about myself that I had not seen, for which I needed forgiveness, and I remember the all-pervading feeling was, I can't believe I thought people owed me an apology, and I need so much forgiveness myself you know, and it was just so overwhelming. And what happens 
is we go back, we go back and we're told and we see and we experience our other lifetimes. We're, you know, I, I've been told about lifetimes that, thank God, I was not required to revisit because I don't think I could have handled it where I was a terrible human being. And then we remember that this is the nature of these worlds that we are traveling in. And so from the purification standpoint, we can easily detach and, and love them and try to be coming from the standpoint of providing any type of impetus that might assist a soul if they're in a place of receptivity. A lot of times they're not. So that's, you know, that's to be expected. There is the second part though, which is there is also, you know, this is where we're talking about mercy. That's the first place. There's also justice. And, um, and that's different. And, you know, when we're talking about um, good and evil and how things are dealt with on an eternal level, you know, justice will uh, do what justice requires. <laughs> and so when things are happening that require justice, we have to understand that every one of us is called to a different state of life. Some of those who are watching this may be involved in the criminal justice system, and they may be called to participate in uh, providing justice. And they are not to be responding from this first standpoint. They have to respond from the second standpoint, which is that justice must be done. Um, there is always the concept that justice can be tempered with mercy when appropriate, but there are times when it isn't appropriate. Part of the thing that we do learn in the out-of-body travel state is that these energetic truths behind interactions determine that. So what are, how does that determine it? Well, when you're dealing with acts of evil, or just dark acts, different levels of darkness. You're dealing with uh, sometimes karmic ignorance, sometimes just genuine ignorance, sometimes just simple darkness, and sometimes pure evil. With ignorance, you're oftentimes dealing with a karmic propensity that someone might have brought in from previous lifetimes. They have a habitual behavior that they honestly do not see in themselves yet. That is probably why they're here to hopefully overturn and overcome. And that is still ignorance. There's also just ignorance, which we also struggle with to some extent, where we we don't realize when we're being insensitive. We don't realize sometimes that we have caused pain or hurt. That is ignorance. Um, sometimes there's ignorance that causes great suffering. And um, we've all, we all know things like this. There's also darkness where people just do things that they know are wrong just because they like to. And then when you're dealing with pure evil, you're dealing with, I commit evil because I like to cause others pain. And when you're dealing with little areas of dominant darkness or pure evil, 
generally the way that the universe uh, responds is simple justice. It's purely justice. That's not tolerated. And so when there are issues of ignorance involved, then there is sometimes are alterations made to accommodate that at times. It does not in any way um, change the fact that justice still applies to the areas of ignorance because it does. But sometimes it's tempered with mercy because we all mess up so much that we could um, end up accomplishing nothing. And so there are energetic alterations that either take place or people are given chances. And this is where things change. It's, it's very difficult to understand the mind of a human being that is not our own. Because what we don't understand is the configuration that every human soul comes in with. And so you can have somebody who is doing really stupid things that are really stupid, you know, and we can, we can uh, totally acknowledge that they're really stupid, but we don't understand why uh, in terms of the karmic configuration. But we have to understand that um, energetically, um, God does. Now, you know, there is, a, there's this karmic cycle that plays out. And a lot of times um, when people are just ignorantly doing a lot of dumb things, they just automatically get hit with their own ignorance. Um, but what we have to understand is that this is a world where karmic delusion is more the norm than not the norm. So for people to become awake in this world is actually more unusual. So when you see a lot of that people driving asleep at the wheel, that is kind of business as usual in a mortal realm. And it is very frustrating. It does not change the fact that what you are seeing is what you are seeing. And there's nothing uh, wrong with having the ability to discern that that's wrong, that's evil. <laughs> the difference might be when you're in this mode, the mode of um, I'm in the purification mode, which is okay. I'm not judging the fact that they're in this space evolutionarily where they just don't get it. You know, that does not change in any way what your response should be actually on the ground. If the situation requires that you call the police, you call the police. If the situation requires that they are prosecuted and put in jail or prison, then that's what happens. And that's not being unloving or unkind. Those are the just consequences of those actions. And that is as it should be. Um, and this is where, um, this is where sometimes this can get messed up. And we've actually seen some of this recently where good becomes evil, evil becomes good. 
and people in an effort to try so hard not to quote unquote judge things are allowing everyone to run rampant. And that is not what ju not judging your brother means. Not judging your brother means that if someone murders another person, that they still go to prison and they still pay the price for that, but you make the decision that you're going to still pray for them and their soul and you're gonna do hope for them, um, you know, and visit them if you're in a position to do so or if it's appropriate, it may not be appropriate. You know what I mean? <laughs> there are many times where it's not. Um, so you still behave appropriately according to what is happening on the ground. You don't just say, okay, in order for me to not judge them, I don't have the right to respond appropriately to what they are doing. That is not what um, loving your brother and sister means in terms of not judging them. Not judging them means I don't understand what got them here. And if I'm able to help them in any way, in the future through prayer or through action. I will try to be available for that if I am called to do so, um, but I will allow for the proper actions to take place based upon what they are doing. And so you don't um, cease having law and order in order to not judge the other. Because this is this is comes back to the root of what we're talking about: purification, discrimination, and discipline. D discrimination is really about discernment, discernment, you know, and we have to have the ability to discern between good and evil. We have to be able to discern between something that is a positive action forward versus a negative action backwards, or something that will propel us towards an evolutionary goal or something that will propel us backwards into the darkness. Does any of that help? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so it's important that we understand not judging our fellow man does not mean preventing the natural consequences of those actions from happening. That's where I think a lot of us get tripped up. The natural consequences need to continue occurring. We need to have law and order. It's, it's okay that uh, you, can, you can find the proper balance between, I don't understand why, they don't understand why it's not okay to loot or riot or destroy in the streets, but you still can't do it. And it's a felony and they have to go to prison for that. It's still simple law and order. So what happens is, you know, so you can have compassion for the fact that somehow, um, uh, they're not understanding that. They don't have the boundaries intact that they need to have. 
you know, expressing ourselves. So for instance, here, we're talking about some recent events, you know, in the US, but expressing ourselves or the way that we feel about something does not include destroying, harming, uh, inflicting violence upon other people, other things, neighborhoods, communities. These are not ways that are acceptable forms of self-expression in any civilized society, period. So it's not to be called self-expression then. That is called rooting, uh, uh, I'm sorry, looting, rioting, and violence. And those are felonies. That is very different. Self-expression would include things like writing an article, maybe doing an interview online or on a radio show, or writing letters to your congressman or to whomever, to newspapers, to whatever. So there are many ways you can express. You can be, if you're a painter, you can paint. If you're a writer, you can write. If you're a musician, you use music to express. Um, you know, there are some beautiful forms of expression that um, I uh, shared on our older website that we had, where we had a lot of uh, the ability to add a lot more space. Uh, you know, some, some of the um, artists in Palestine who shared musically their experience as Palestinians, and there were equally beautiful renderings of the Israeli experience. You know, and there were some beautiful expressions um, as well, just of the experience of people who lived in the Middle East during the time of all these wars that have occurred. And they were done musically and they were true expressions that moved people. You know, these were and remain and will remain as expressions and monuments to that experience that those people had, um, which can be re-experienced at any given time. Destruction is never um, an effective form of expressing, you know, uh, what your what your point is. And so, and you know, but this goes back to the seven deadlies as well. You know, seven deadly sins because. We've all expressed ourselves in destructive ways. You know, we do that in our relationships with the people in our life. We get angry, we lose our temper, we do stupid things. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> you know, and so we can see it how it manifests in our societies, but then we all want to bring it back to how is it manifesting inside of me? In the purification journey, we see how everything mirrors itself back to us in our own internal struggle because that battle between goodness and darkness and evil is going on within us as well as it is outside of us and um and so uh, here's here's a quote that i think is very good as well so here this is from saint john baptist de la salle and he says, to abstain from sinful actions is not sufficient for the fulfillment of God's law. The very desire of what is forbidden is evil. And so 
what he's telling us in relation to what we're talking about is we have to take this purification well beyond not just not just um okay i'm not going to do this 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 we have to make it really an inward transformation where we have to really examine why we want what we want so if we struggle with lust or if we struggle with greed whichever one we we are dealing with at a given moment we have to understand why we desire it so much we have to take it apart unpack it so that we can reform it into something healthy so why do i desire let's just let's just use this this analogy so why do i desire to just tear apart everything in the society let's take that apart i'm going to just put myself in their shoes i want everyone to know how mad i am and i just want to go against everything that's ever been and ever will be i'm going to be both me and um this other person well okay that's nice you're mad about that but that's not something you don't get to destroy the history of a country um, or any of its things just because you personally <laughs> do not um, uh, like it at this given moment in your existence you don't destroy that which you do not understand that is that's what is the very essence of the word sacrilege <laughs> trying to destroy something that you do not understand and that's what we have we have um, groups of people trying to destroy that which they don't understand so how would they then actually deal with this if let's assume that they were willing okay well they would by actually understanding about the history of things and educating themselves. So, Marilyn, could you repeat that? Because we just, uh, our Wi Fi just <clears throat> got a little crazy, still says it's unstable. Okay, I think we're back now. Could you just uh, repeat that last part again? Yeah, so I was saying that you would, if they were willing, what you would want them to start with is self-education so all these institutions and things that they want to tear down if they were willing they need to educate themselves they need to go back and really learn about what the truth is behind them they cannot pick and choose because literally the reality is and here we come back to purification the reality is that every single human soul is a multifaceted creation. You can take any person from any period of time and you can pick at it. You can find something that is noble and of great value, and you can find something that you can say completely makes them worthless and of no value. You can do this with every person who has ever lived on earth. You do not have uh, to, to invalidate um, great movements in the history of humankind by pulling out 
the failings or the flaws of individuals who did great things in other aspects of their lives and saying that they are now no longer valid is showing a great sense of absolute emptiness within the soul of the person who is seeing it that way. Because what they're saying is that there is nobody who can reach a point of being of any value. Because what we do know is that they certainly could not reach a point where they would be considered beyond reproach now because every single one of them has participated in the destruction of our society and our world and they've participated in unacceptable and unheard of violence towards our communities and towards everything that our country holds dear and towards every American citizen who disagrees with them. So what they're saying is that they themselves can never be redeemed because these acts that they have committed in their youth disqualify them from forever being redeemed. So if any of them grow up, <laughs> change their life and go do something great, which is possible, they are saying that this moment in their life when they were behaving miserably, criminally, feloniously, would completely disqualify them from ever uh, acknowledging any future accomplishment they could ever have. They themselves have invalidated themselves by invalidating the great and noble acts of others who came before them and not understanding the, the, horrific, uh, the horrific thing that they are doing to the history of our people that they have no right to do. They have no right to do this. But do you see what I'm trying to get to here, which is, because this is very much related to the purification path, which is that it is impossible for anyone to live up to that standard. There is no one who can. Even the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics, if you tear apart their lives, and I have the texts, <laughs> you can find they made mistakes. They did things that are questionable. They had moments in their lives where they did things that they regretted later. They had youthful moments of ignorance where they did stupid things. Um, all of these things are part of our human condition. So you cannot go back and literally just take a person and say, I found a fault or a failing and therefore they are of no value. Because what they are doing is they are saying that their judgment and their discernment is greater than that of God himself. God is the one who has determined that we are all of value. 
And we are all of value because, remember, God created us this way. He created us this way. He knew that we were fallen beings and that we were born with a sinful nature. So God understands that more than any of us do. He understands why and how he created us to be this way. And this is why mercy is given because this is the nature of how we were born. It's our innate nature, God created. So we have to understand that no person, even somebody who may have done something heinous or horrific, is defined by one moment in time. We are all defined by many, many things. The energetic moments of one life, the energetic moments of many lives. I myself was told that I had been responsible for the deaths of many, many people in a lifetime that thankfully I didn't have to travel into a re-experience where I was some type of a conqueror. So this humility that emerges and comes forth when we realize we too have been there. We have all been there. And thus it is our responsibility to continue rising ourselves because that is how we pull that inflow because energy follows course. Um, that's how we create a pull in this realm for others to move forward as well. One of the things I was shown in a few visions that I had in the out-of-body travel state was when I, because there was a period where I was like, what, what's the point of doing all this, you know? And I was shown that as I was moving forward on the path, that I was literally providing the energy and the source for others to move forward to. And that the more that I moved forward, the easier it was for others to do the same. And see, that applies to all of us. We don't realize that when we go through this process ourselves, when we go through this purification process and we knock into this thrust, this forward thrust of purification, we are literally energizing the realm for other souls to do the same. So it's not like we, we don't realize that even though it is a very um, self-intrusive uh, process that doesn't just involve us, while we are very involved in our own purification, we are at the same time, without our awareness, drawing other souls energy, energetically forward. And this is so important. Is this making sense? Yes. In Mysteries of the Redemption, you spoke of a lot of journeys that you took into past lives where you were an American Indian. Yes. 
And I've also had American Indian as well. But we also speak of um, how we are all um, races, uh, poor, rich, um, we can have, you know, evil in our lives or, or very good. So we have a lot of these experiences with all of our soul journeys. So what do you have to say about that? Well, we do, and it's a good point to make because um, we do generally in our, our lifetimes try to experience a lot of things. So we will try um, poverty, we'll try wealth, we'll try being in the middle of the road. We will try to have lifetimes doing different types of things, so different types of vocations in life. We might have lifetimes where we're in the arts, others where we're in the sciences, others where we're administrative, and other types of things. We will have lifetimes where we experience health, lifetimes where we experience illness, We'll have lifetimes where we experience early death, lifetimes where we experience aging, lifetimes where we experience violent deaths, lifetimes where we experience peaceful deaths. Um, it, it runs the gamut. And yes, we do. We travel through um, many races and many times. And this is one of the interesting things about this too that you learn in the out-of-body travel experiences as you travel through your past lives is how irrelevant race is and how it becomes um, just kind of an afterthought because it really is just an experience of a different culture. That's what we're doing. So we're traveling through, uh, you know, like, okay, so I'm gonna have an Asian lifetime. I'm gonna have a lifetime in New Zealand. I'm gonna be an Aboriginal in Australia. And I had a lot of native lifetimes in the Americas and also, you know, lifetimes as a white settler. So I was on both sides of that, you know, we experienced the dichotomies. And, um, you know, that is how we do it. I have had lifetimes as a black slave. Um, I do not recall being a black slave owner, but I wouldn't be surprised if I had been, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, cause I haven't seen everything, you know? Um, actually, you know what? Let me take that back because I do, I did have a lifetime where I was married to a Confederate soldier. So I don't know that I was a, a slave owner, but I was definitely pro-slavery in that lifetime. Mm -hmm. So- um, <laughs> and, it was, and it was pointed out to you by Chief Joseph. Yes, he pointed that out to me to point out, um, because I was really shocked by it, that I was pro-slavery in that lifetime, that my husband was a Confederate soldier. And it shocked me that I would have a lifetime where I would have that view. And he said, is it possible that if you had this, this view in this lifetime, that you might have some views in your current lifetime that are not life-giving, that you have not yet identified? And I, I guess so, you know? And this is kind of where, you know, the discrimination pathway began. And then it, you start being shown things that you may not have seen properly. Um, you know, and this is where you learn about energetic law, about how, like for instance, one of the energetic laws that was shown to me was the moment you violate the life of another soul, you immediately rescind the right to your own. And so, 
this was a really important eternal law and as it applies to us in this world because this has become very very shady in that um there is so much where people do not realize that you cannot put yourself in a position of violating the life of another soul. And this was in relation to, as to by being involved in violent actions, by being involved in things, you immediately, when you get involved in like a violent action, you are placing yourself in the position of knowing that you could in, uh, you know, imminently place other lives at risk and so you have to accept the consequences of that the consequences of that when you are choosing to be involved in violent actions even if you call it peaceful <laughs> words don't mean anything the true energy behind it is what matters in the eternal so if you get involved in violent actions and you place other people's lives at risk, you are no longer protected by eternal law. And so you are taking your own life into your own hands at that point. So there are eternal laws you learn about as to how these things actually work. And um, it's very important. And so, you know, for me, uh, when we talk about the grand phases of the soul, and the first phase is the awakening phase. And so yes. kind of it's so beautiful and so amazing and so extraordinary. And it's like, hey, look at what's out there. Look at what's possible. <laughs> if you really work on yourself, you can go here and here. And that's what makes all the heaviness. Some people can see it as heaviness. Now, when you're working with a discrimination process and the discipline process, it can be kind of like, man, you gotta really get in there, man. You gotta be serious. But if it weren't for that awakening phase, which keeps coming in and out, weaving in and out of, of the discipline and the discrimination, if it wasn't for that awakening and like, wow, this is incredible, then, you know, <laughs> you just get like, well, you're like, this is too hard to work, man, I'm giving up. But it's that awakening yeah. from the first phase that just makes us go, okay, this is why we're doing this. All right, let's get in here, get our hands Well, and what's happening there too, is when you're going through the awakening yes you are receiving so much you're, you're seeing all the beauty and all the good things and you're learning a lot about yourself when you enter into discrimination and discipline this is the part of the journey where creation is now starting to ask you to give back to creation what creation has given to you so this is where we're now serving our brothers and sisters who are in need of assistance and alteration. But then we are looking at our sisters and brothers who are in need of help in the heavens, hells, and the purgatories. You know, we haven't touched on that yet, so that's a good place to go. In the mystical spheres, you know, there's an infinite number of heavens, an infinite number of purgatories, and an infinite number of hells. And in the purgatories, what you have are whatever difficulty that someone might have, there is purgatorial reality that is created for them to work it out. So it can be as simple as like there are many chaos realms 
And that's because many people live in chaos here on earth and that's what they're comfortable with. And these are realms where literally things go in a circle. It can be in different time frames. There's chaos realms that are based in the 1800s, chaos realms that are based in the 1900s. So depending on where, where someone's comfortable from their time frame, but what, what generally has to happen with the soul in the chaos realms is they have to like at some point be like, oh, I'm going in circles. I need to get out of this. And so, um, you know, me as a soul would be sent in to pull that soul to the side and say, yeah, if when you're ready to leave, this is the exit. And this is how you can get out. And if you look up here, you can see the portal opens at this time of day and you can see the moon and that's when you fly out and you're done with this chaos realm. <laughs> and then, you know, that's what happens there. But there are realms in the purgatories where people can purify themselves of anything from, you know, lusts to um, sometimes it's alcoholism, a lot of violence type issues, people who who are kind of rough, you know, there's a lot of rough realms in the purgatories. You have a lot of realms that are also related to all sorts of things, you know, um, all of the vices. And they're just different levels of it because the hells do the same. You know, we've talked a lot about muddy flats, which is the hell that relates to uh, vanity and greed. And this was actually a place that I took people to that were actually fairly wealthy. And um, it's a pretty gnarly place, you know, a, bit, a muddy, muddy little cave in the deep core of the earth types of a, an environment. Um, but what happens is in the out-of-body travel state, our sins, our attachments, our fetters, our cravings, the things that we crave that are not God weigh us down. So when we leave the body at death, whatever we are compatible to is where we end up um, going to. And there's this weight to our soul that is related to whatever those uh, attachments are. And that's what this purification is all about. So, um, you know, so these attachments can be um, to people as well. It can be attachments to certain behavior. It can be attachments to uh, any kind of lusts, violence, greed, avarice. It can be attachments to anger and hatred, rage. It can be um, attachments to um lying deceit um it can be attachments to money it can be attachments to uh the way that you look people don't realize you know we forget that vanity is one of the deadly sins <laughs> and so we forget that that is a deadly sin so these attachments that we have to um personal appearances that are excessive, those are actual attachments that weigh us down as well. So it's not just the lusts, but it's also the vanities, um, things like this. Go. So, you know, once we pass from this physical body and we're attracted, you know, energetically 
um, we're going to go to that place where we vibrate with, right? Right, exactly. So, so once we're there, though, it's not the same energy as the realm, this mortal realm that we're in now, where we, can, we have more choices. Once we're in that energy of when we pass and we are attracted to that space, then it's a little more difficult, right? to work with uh, what the fetters are of our soul because we're actually really in that energy then it's like, oh, here I am. So even like our thoughts and everything are kind of affected by that. So we're kind of locked into it a little bit more, wouldn't you say? You said that very well. Thank you, Brian, for that. Um, because you are, it's like you've chosen it at that point. So, you know, when we're in the physical body, we have these choices to us and we have options. You know, and so after we pass, we then, you know, we literally resonate to what we are compatible to, and we go to what we're compatible to. And so we are surrounded by, you know, so there was this one purgatorial realm that I went to where it was just people who were just um, into an inappropriate and destructive lust. And so they're in, it's almost like a ballroom and they're all engaged in the exact same type of inappropriate lust towards one another. And so because of this, it's very hard for any of them to actually break free of that mindset because they are all surrounded by it. That's all they see. So the only thing that can break through is when a soul then has an independent thought and they're like, but I don't want to be here. Um, there's probably a higher way and they pray to God for assistance and literally the moment a person prays to God for help he sends it literally instantly and that's when a soul is sent in and that's where out-of-body travelers like myself and all of you and you will be sent in to render aid to help a soul to go to a higher level so these attachments are, they're like tendrils that hold us to the ground. And part of the reason when we, when we leave this earth, we want to be so light that we just rise up to meet God. And so you brought up something interesting because uh, we give permission. We give dominion to the dark when we're involved in things that you know, let's say seven deadly sins. We're basically yes. going like, yeah, I give you full permission. But when we talk about like Archangel Michael and you talked about, um, cause I haven't seen him, you have. And you're like, whoa, once you've seen him, you know you've seen him. <laughs> he's a giant. But like, he can just like send a demon back to hell just by like a thought or just like a boop, like instantly. But there's like, there's free will. And so, and it's for us to play it out ourselves. Right? But as soon as we're like, hey, I don't want this attachment. I don't want this darkness. You know, hey, Archangel Michael, can you help me out, buddy? Then he'll be like, yeah, sure. Bing. If, you know, right? If we totally want to, you know, truly let go of that. There's a merciful God. And so, but if we are involved in that and that's our choice, then God's going to let us do that. But as soon as we oh, want yes. to get out of it, like, hey, help me. Well, and there is a lot of prayer involved. And, you know, the purification process is a very prayerful process. Um, it's very important that we realize this because that is part of, you know, we have to receive grace and grace comes from the Holy Spirit. That's how we are able to then actually overcome these vices within ourselves. 
you know, um, you know, um, in the King James Bible, it says in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. And I, I think that says it really well that, you know, so we receive this direction, but we receive it according to our continual prayer, accelerate that. And, you know, we also, we either energize or de-energize this purification process by our actions. So when we receive correction, do we respond to it? Do we uh, examine what's been presented to us to examine? Or do we um, just ignore it if we you know so we are energizing whether or not that can, that instruction continues so like for instance here is from saint augustine he says some who were neither in the deep sleep of folly nor able to awaken in the light of wisdom misled by the variety of innumerable customs thought that there was no such thing as absolute justice, but that every people regarded its own way of life as just, they have not understood that, quote, what you do not wish to have done to yourself, do not do to another. When this idea is applied to the love of God, all vices perish. <laughs> all vices perish and this is so you know what is he saying he's saying we want to in our slumberings because he's referring back again to what we said in the king james bible about god sealeth our instruction in our sleep at night we want to start with the idea of do not do to others what we don't wish for them to do to us. And so we start there. And when we start with that, and when we apply that idea to God's love, our vices perish of their own accord. Because it's the natural, it's the natural result of that understanding taking root, taking a hold deeply within our soul and our spirit. And so this is, you know, the quantum heart of the purification path, which is where we are trying to let new things take root within us that are um, very important uh, to um, I wanted to share this, so I'll just throw this in. It's kind of out of context here, but not exactly. This is from, you know, Black Elk, because we're talking about the Native Americans. But this shows, you know, the Native American path is similar. It's similar also. And so he says this in his, um, his um, ceremony on the sacred pipe. He says, as the door of the lodge is opened, all the men cry, hi-ho, hi-ho, thanks. 
and the men are all happy for they have come forth from the darkness and are now living in the light. And this is what all the mystics say. Now here again, we're talking about, you know, heavens, hells, and purgatories. Listen to this from the uh, book of Jonah. This is Jonah saying, out of my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the midst of the netherworld, I cried for help and you heard my voice. And this is what happens in the hells and the purgatories. I experienced this when a soul throws themselves on their knees and says, God, help me. He sends help instantly. This is what he's saying. And, you know, we see this in the book of Psalms as well. David says the same thing. No matter where I am, this is so important. No matter where we are, if we find ourselves in hell itself, you cry out to God and he sends help. Why does God matter? Because he is the way out of all of our things that we create. He is the only answer. You cry to God. You don't cry to, you know, it's funny. I had a, an experience one night where I was experiencing this because when you, it's, when you do spiritual warfare, you learn very quickly that you're asking for Jesus Christ, for the help of Jesus Christ. And I was contemplating this one night because this didn't happen to me because I believed that beforehand. It happened because it happened. And what I realized was you don't call out to Edgar Casey, You don't call out to Loud Sue. <laughs> you know, you call Jesus Christ. And that's an important understanding because Jesus Christ has dominion over assisting all of us in these worlds. He is the one, St. Michael, as you mentioned, is the one who handles the demonic. And so we call to him and he helps as well. So, so these things are very important. And also for you in your spiritual warfare, because when you go into the discipline pathway, you do go into the lower realms to help souls. And exactly. so what you've uh, realized in your spiritual warfare is that using um, Jesus Christ was your most powerful ally. Right. Period. So it just, it just was. So Christ crucified, yes. that, you know, could just make demons just, you know, split yep. quick. Um, yep. so like in your, that's just something that really worked powerfully for you. And so that's kind of, so you didn't become, you didn't start out as a Catholic. No, I became yeah. Catholic because of the experiences that I had. Yes. And you basically went through all religions, mystery religions. You went through everything that was out Buddhism, there. Taoism, Judaism, Hinduism, Jainism, Sikhism, everything. But what you found, what worked best for you right now, and as you said to me before, Mother Teresa said, whatever, you know, your spirituality, your religion is, you know, do it the best practice way. it well yes right. yes well and so that's what works 
you know, fully for you and that's what you know. Yourself. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. And you know, um, so these are, these are important things, but yeah, let's throw some gold out here. Let's go with some gold. Um, so here's something from my favorite rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato. God also decreed that the bond between the body and the divine soul should be somewhat loosened while man sleeps. The freed portions of the soul can then move about in the spiritual realm wherever they are allowed. You know, all the mystics talked about this. We all know during our sleep, whether people are aware of it or not, we are being instructed. And this is where the out-of-body travel experiences can emerge, and these are important. So, um, so here's something from Paramahamsa Yogananda, one of my faves. Thought is inexhaustible. Since the world began, thoughts in unimaginable numbers have passed through the ether. One could not begin to count them. <laughs> and that is so important because what we see in the mystical spheres, what we experience, we hear the thoughts of humankind, we hear the thoughts and experience the thoughts as they move through all these mystical spheres. And so in the purgatorial realms, in the hellish realms, in the heavenly realms, we are going to hear, in the heavenly realms, we're hearing beautiful symphonies of light and sound. You know, in the purgatorial realms, we're hearing uh, confused thoughts, um, uh, thoughts that are misconstrued, things of misunderstanding, habitual um, things that people are doing. In the hellish realms, we're hearing evil thoughts. And so what do we have to do? We start by purifying our thoughts and our actions and then we purify our deeds and then we start purifying our conscious unconscious and subconscious levels of thinking and that's how we move through the purification process and so and so here's something from buddhism and this is words of the buddha um, speaking on that subject which is really important trivial thoughts insignificant thoughts when followed they distract the mind not understanding those thoughts the roaming mind runs back and forth but by understanding those thoughts one ardent and mindful restrains the mind an awakened one has to overcome them completely so they do not arise to distract the mind. There's some pure gold right there. Because how many of us follow these random thoughts? We don't realize that the goal with the random thoughts is to throw them out. And this is where in our breathing and our meditations, we wanna throw out um, unproductive lines of thinking, unproductive lines of thinking. Um, so here is another quote from Augustine that I want to share. It says, wickedness makes a bad use, not only of evil, but also of good. In the same way, holiness makes a good use, not only of good, but also of evil. Thus, sinners make a bad use of the law, 
although the law is good, while saints make a good use of death, although death is an evil. So what he's telling us here is that we choose. So we were talking a lot right now of how we choose. Are we going to make a good use of good and evil or a bad use of it? We choose individually, every single one of us. And that is part of what purification is. That's discrimination as well, because that's when we bring the source God inside of us and it becomes a permanent aboding place. We can choose to be a transformative presence in the midst of good, but also of evil. We choose not to participate in evil. We choose to make a good use of evil as best as it can be done, you know. <clears throat> and so here's something from Paramahamsa Yogananda, which I think is really important too. He says, the caravan of my prayers is moving toward thee. It has been delayed now and then by blinding sandstorms of despondency. <laughs> and how much can we relate to this? Because this is our, this is our process. This is, you know, we, we try, we make efforts and then we delay because we just get, we hit despair. And so Paramahansa, one of his great things is he's totally honest about the struggles, you know, that come with the path. And so our prayers are delayed sometimes, but we must continue to keep that caravan of prayers moving towards God. So when we realize, when we catch ourselves where we have stopped, that's what the gold from Paramahamsa Yogananda is saying to us right now. In that, in that particular piece of gold that he spoke. You know? so, um, so one, one thing that it says in the Talmud, it says, if a man wishes to travel a certain road, heaven guides him to it. This is also what we're talking about. We are energizing where we're going. We are making a choice of our direction. We're choosing, I'm going towards God, the source. And every single action we take in that direction, the purification pathway is us deciding uh, that we want that path and then heaven guides us to it. But if we, if we choose something else, we, we end up going another way, but we have chosen it nonetheless. Do you see? And so here's something from the book of Enoch. It says, for I know that oppression will exist and prevail on earth, that on earth great punishment shall in the end take place and that there shall be a consummation of all iniquity, which shall be cut off from its root, and every fabric raised by it shall pass away. So what this is telling us is that the condition of the mortal realms is always the same. There will always be these battles between good and evil in these mortal realms. 
So we know that this is just the nature of these mortal realms, but we are to rise above because it shall pass away by, I, by us moving above and beyond it, not by us choosing to be a part of it. We have to move above, and that is through purification that we do it. So here's something from the Pistis Sophia, which is a old Gnostic text, one of my faves. <laughs> and it says in this, in this particular text, these are the words of Christ. Of course, this is a text that has some questions as to its authenticity. So I'll just make sure that that's clear. But in this text, these, this is Christ speaking. It says, there is no mystery which is more excellent than these mysteries on which he questioned, and that it will lead your souls into the light of lights, into the regions of truth and goodness, into the region of the holy of all holies, into the region in which there is neither female nor male, nor are there forms in that region, but a perpetual, indescribable light. And that's where we're going, Brian. <laughs> That's where we're going. And here is an excellent, an excellent summation of what the purification pathway is from the Upanishads, which is a Hindu text. The immature run after sense pleasures and fall into the widespread net of death. But the wise, knowing the self as deathless, seek not the changeless in the world of change. So we're seeking that which is eternal in the world of the eternal. We're not trying to make something that is mortal, something that it is not. We cannot make uh, mortal things provide for us the immortal need that we actually are seeking. The love of God cannot be replaced by the love of men. The safety of being in the heart of God cannot be replaced by the safety of mortal greed or mortal wealth. All of these things have to be sought in the changeless. That's what the Upanishad is saying there. And here, here's something going back to your earlier question from the book of Enoch. Woe to you, ye obdurate in heart, who commit crime and feed on blood. Whence is it that you feed on good things, drink, and are satiated? Is it not because our Lord, the Most High, has abundantly supplied every good thing upon the earth? To you, there shall be no peace. So what does that say about what we were talking about earlier, Brian? For those who are committing these types of acts, there shall be no peace. There is no peace in this kind of karmic activity, this kind of criminal activity there shall be no peace that says so much in those few words doesn't it mm -hmm. to you there shall be no peace 
So do not be obdurate in heart. Don't commit crime. Feed on the good things that God has abundantly supplied. That's what Enoch is saying. And that is where the peace will be found. And so this is words of Christ from the New Testament. It says, therefore, do not be afraid of them. Nothing is concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. What I say to you in the darkness, speak in the light. He's telling us that these mysteries are not hidden from us. We can seek them and they will be given to us. But we have to seek them with this pure heart. And so he's telling us it's not closed from us. Does that make sense, Brian? Oh, yes. Okay, so here's from uh, St. Jerome. He renounces himself and takes up his cross, who from having been unchaste becomes chaste, from having been immoderate becomes temperate, from having been weak and timid becomes strong and courageous. I mean, what a wonderful demonstration of what we're talking about, of going from the vices to the virtues. He's showing this is how we conquer. This is how it's done. So here, let's move forward here. There's one here from the Divine Crucible of Purgatory by Mother Mary of St. Austin. This is a, a, a fairly rare text that very few people know about. And I'm very honored to have a copy of it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> One with each other. These poor earthly words cannot convey a true idea of the divine unity. In that unity, all feeling of quote, difference between God and the soul disappears, and therefore between each soul and all other souls. And this, she's speaking of this oneness that I talk about in the very beginning of the Ascension Pathway, the, the uh, Purification Pathway, which is the oneness. This is one of the first things that people are introduced to which is that all life truly is inextricably united as one. We experience this in the out-of-body travel state. And she's talking about how we experience this and how the souls experience this in the afterlife, where we are connected as one to God and as one to one another, all as like one living, breathing organism. And this is very important in our understanding because when we understand this, it helps us to understand how our individual portion and our movement as an individual portion actually can move the entire organism. So every part that we participate in the rising above, we are doing something that 
is elevative of the universal consciousness. That's important, very important. And along the same lines here, this is from the Gospel of Thomas, and these are the words of Christ along the same line. I am the one who comes from what is whole. I was given from the things of my father. If one is whole, one will be filled with light. But if one is divided, one will be filled with darkness. What does that mean to you, Brian? <laughs> well, can you repeat the last part of it again? Sure. If one is whole, one will be filled with light. But if one is divided, one will be filled with darkness. Hmm. That's interesting that divide and conquer seems to be something so used throughout time. Because if we're divided within ourselves, then we're kind of battling within ourselves. We're not in unity with ourselves. Yes. So he's, I have come from the one that is whole. He's speaking of God, which is the universal consciousness, which encompasses all life, all of us. And he's saying, this is where we go into the fragmentation. When we are shooting off into individual lifetimes and we are unconscious of God, we are unconscious of our connection to our other lifetimes, then we are fragmented, we are divided. We are living in the darkness of ignorance because we cannot see more than this one part. Does this make sense at all? Mm -hmm. You can tell me if it doesn't. So, <laughs> so you know, the, the whole is like a triangle. We've got the triangle that branches out into all these different existences. If we are a divided self, we are one of these branches. And that means we are in darkness because we are cut off right here. We can't see this, 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 this. We can't see any of these things. We only see this. And that makes us divided. If we are with the whole, we're all of it. We see it all. And that's when we are filled with light. Because the light is understanding. And in order to understand, we have to be filled with all of it all the parts these are all the parts all the experiences you know in the mysteries of the redemption one of the big pinnacle moments at the end of the initiations into the mysteries is when i have to unite with my higher self and the knowledge of all of the lifetimes that i've had up until now and what that is it's all that knowledge so it's every lifetime as you know a white person a native american a black person a slave a free owner uh this that you know a european a german a, an asian an aboriginal a native american all these things sick rich poor healthy all of those experiences are merged into one so as a whole i have light i have understanding I only have the one strand, which is the experience of one organism. 
and I'm divided. Do you see how this experience of the one strand plays into our society and a lot of the problems we see? The experience of the one strand is where we run into a lot of the violence and a lot of the out of control behavior that we see, the way that people behave because they are observing and experiencing life from a divided place. They are seeing one strand. So a division is like a block. That yes. That's blocking out the light. And so often, like when we're trying to see an eclipse, that we like cut a little hole in a piece of paper and then it comes through and we can see the, so we'll, we'll end up just seeing life through this little tiny hole, we're not seeing the whole big picture because we're divided and it's cutting out that consciousness and higher awareness. Right. And see what happens too is when we are whole and we have all of these strands and all of that light comes in, we have more of an ability to see things from a spectrum of understanding. This is very important. So we can see a spectrum of, okay, from the standpoint of eternal law, what is the spectrum of good and evil? And then what also then is the spectrum of my own experience from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime? So now that I have this whole, I can look into the eyes of another human being and I can place myself in their shoes. Therefore, there is a chance for more understanding. There is a chance for mutual accord. When you are doing this from one strand, you can only see this. You're less likely to even offer the idea that the other person has a viewpoint that is of value to you. Not only do you not see it, you often do not recognize that they have a viewpoint that is of value to you. You see, and that's where we get into a lot of conflicts where the value is lost because the understanding cannot emerge. So this is what Christ is saying. I come from the whole. Anyone who is divided shall be in the darkness and anyone who is in, is in the whole will be filled with light, filled with light. And that's the light of understanding because that's what light is. It's understanding. One of the things I was often told in my experience was, it is not for you to be understood. It is for you to be understanding. And how many of us get caught up in, but I want to be understood. We've got it backwards. We are to be understanding. And it is by the nature of changing that perception point that we completely alter the ability of a, of a misunderstanding or a crisis to be resolved. Because if you have two people coming together from that energetic place, 
of being understanding that will emerge but if both wish to be understood and both think that the other person's experiential point is not a value then they will do this but if they're coming from understanding they will become whole and that will be resolved and so a lot of this comes back to simple changes in our own perception so it is our job to be understanding and by doing that we find that we will by of that very nature be understood but we start out from a different point and that changes everything you see mm -hmm. that's great and now i think uh, we're coming up on the end of the two and a half hour Segment. Actually, I think we have, we, I think we still have about 20 minutes. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I think we started around 12. I don't know what time. Yeah, are you right? Let's see. All right, good luck. Right. What if we go over? Is that okay? Um, yeah, we're, we're good. Yeah, we're okay. good. Um, so the next thing is from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, and he is a Hindu saint. And he is, says, all worship and spiritual discipline are directed to one end alone, namely to get rid of worldly attachment. The more you meditate on God, the less you will be attached to the trifling things of the world. So you see, he's taking it another step further, which is, okay, so we have to get rid of those worldly attachments. And how we do it is our one-pointed, one-centered, one-focused attention on God. Why does God matter? Because he is the focus, the center of it all. He is. You cannot get there without him, literally. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and this is one that comes from Buddhism, which is so important. It says, do not think lightly of merit, saying, it will not come to me. By the constant fall of water drops, a pitcher is filled. Likewise, the wise person accumulating merit little by little becomes full of merit. And of course, the opposite applies as well. And so if we are applying a drop, a drop and a drop of virtue, we are becoming full of that. If we keep applying drops of vice, then we are becoming full of that. So it's very true that we can control that in that sense. So this is from the um, Buddhist text. It's the Path to Deliverance. It's by Nayana Taloka, who is a Buddhist saint. And he is giving us some gold on how do we, how do we do this? How do we do this? And he says, all life and all existence here with all its joys and all its woe rests on a single state of mind and a quick passes that moment by. Out of the unseen did they rise into the unseen do they pass 
just as the lightning flashes forth, so do they flash and pass away. And so that is talking about how important it is that we recognize how pivotal our states of mind are in this path of purification. Literally, all life rests on that single state of mind. So when we are in a state of woe, if we can recognize this, we can allow that to pass away and allow another rising by recognizing that these are thoughts, these are states of mind which can arise and which can go away. And this is part of the discipline that we, uh, just through this process, want to practice. And so, here's another one from Baha'u'llah, who was the founder of the Baha'i Faith. Like I said, I love his writings. He says, hence, one of the prophets of God hath asked, O my Lord, how shall we reach unto thee? And the answer came, leave thyself behind and then approach me. And so much is stated in that. Leave yourself behind and then approach me. And so we are being asked to simply step away from all the illusory parts of ourselves, all of these habits, all of these tendencies, all of these attachments, even our personalities, and just in our basic unseen essence approach God leave everything behind, our perceptions of who we are, our perception, our name, our whatever, leave it all behind and approach God just as a pure undefiled soul. And that is how we reach him. What a beautiful way to put it, right? Mm -hmm. And so moving on, and, you know, so here's another one from the spiritual combat, Dom Lorenzo Scupoli. He's the theatine, uh, the Catholic theatine saint that I uh, told you about. He was actually a very interesting guy. He was the founder of the theatine order. <laughs> and um, he was literally the counter-reformation guy. So he was very involved in the 1500s in the um, discussions against Calvin and against Luther, against the Protestant Reformation. So he was a very significant historical figure. We don't hear much about him, but this is, you know, his magnum opus was the spiritual combat, which is, of course, gold. So <laughs> all earthly things except those absolutely necessary must die through our complete disregard for them, even though they are not wrong in themselves. We must control our minds and not permit them to wander aimlessly about. What 
Yeah, gold. <laughs> I mean, you're literally walking up the steps here, you know, because every one of these things is, is one of these steps that are taking us towards heaven, you know? You, are you with me, Brian? Well, I'm with you. I'm right here. Okay, and so we got to take a we got to take a trek into the Zohar, which is the Kabbalah. You know, you can't ignore that. <laughs> and so this is from the Kabbalah, the Zohar. This is uh, this is from the fifth volume, the Shela Lecha. Um, so it says, every man who in this world does not wrap himself in the ceremonial garb and clothe himself therewith, when he enters the other world, is covered with a filthy garment and is brought up for trial. Many are the garments prepared for man in this world. And he who does not acquire the garment of religious observance is in the next world clad in a garment which is known to the masters of Gehenom. And woe to the man who is clad therein, for he is seized by many officers of judgment and dragged down to Gehenom. And therefore King Solomon cried aloud, at all times, let thy garments be white. <laughs> I kind of think that one speaks for itself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say that one speaks for itself. And uh, so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, so here, this is from, you know, um, Edmund Bordeaux Zeckeli had uh, translated these um, really amazing texts uh, from the Essenes in the 1940s. This is from the Essene Gospel of Peace. When God saw that his people would perish because they did not see the light of life, he chose the best of Israel so that they might make the light of life to shine before the sons of men. And those chosen were called Essenes because they taught the ignorant and healed the sick. And they gathered on the eve of every seventh day to rejoice with the angels oh and that could get me talking about a whole bunch of cool things <laughs> you know like the the whole prayer of heaven that um, goes from heaven to earth which uh, i wrote about in a book called the primordial seed for anyone who wants to uh download that one that one contains a whole another mystery about that prayer of the angels and how we pray with the angels and heaven um so that <laughs> now you brought up the personality we spoke of the personality just a few moments ago uh -huh. and uh, we did a little vignette um speaking about the personality i think it's in the grand phases of the soul as well but when it comes to what really matters in life like why why we're here and, and what's the goal of life a lot of times I don't think people really understand, but our personality and what we build and we construct, we often don't take any of that with us. Right. And so unless we become really conscious of, uh, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're you know, connected to God and we're, um, you know, and geez, I'm, you know, 
just filled with all kinds of things I need to work on and stuff, right? And so I'm just gonna keep at that. But it's like, I think a lot of people don't really get it. They will have all these, you know, thoughts and ideas about who they are and whatever. And then it's just all wiped away, like a lot of it clean slate when their soul moves on. And, and I wonder if you can elucidate us a little bit more about that uh, point, if you would. Well, that does happen. And that is part of the reason why bringing all these lifetimes together, these strands, it's important because we, we do become very, you know, this is just another attachment. We're attached to our personality in this lifetime. We're attached to the persona, who we were, who we are. And what we don't realize is, is that these personalities served a particular function. They serve a function for what we are to do in a particular lifetime. But it's literally, um, it's literally like a little atom in a, you know, in a, in a huge multiverse, you know, every lifetime that we have is that simple little atom. And so when we identify so strongly with this atom, this personality, we are literally uh, holding out the entire rest of the picture, the rest of that universe. And so the knowledge of all of that then is kept hidden from us it's not available to us by opening it up and realizing that this personality serves this purpose but all of these other personalities and the knowledge that they have gained is equally important to the overall knowledge of my soul as well as the knowledge it goes even further the knowledge of all lifetimes all souls all life, all existence, all forms of life. And, you know, so we literally are talking about merging into what um, is then truly universal Godhead. And so the idea that we want to retain this personality is a hindrance. It's a hindrance in the sense that, you know, it's okay that we need our personality, our persona in this lifetime. Just don't let it be a hindrance to the spiritual attainments that need to occur and can occur. Um, because when we do leave this life, that personality um, does not and is not required to continue. Your soul is what needs to continue and so you can waste a lot of time on it so to speak because literally it is it's it's like um i mean you know think about how many hairs fall out of your head every day you know i you know i have a lot of hair that falls out of the shower every day it's kind of like being attached to any single strand that's in my drain you know, no, I've got to keep that one. <laughs> this one. <laughs> you know, that one is really important. But you know, what happens is that the very nature of uh, the natural process determines which ones are ready to go down the drain, which ones are ready to, um, you know, uh, be shed from my head and my body when they're ready to be shed. 
And that's how it works with our personalities as well. And so after our lifetime, most people will cross over and they will retain that personality just a bit, but there is a purpose in you will want to transcend that, that will change because in order to move forward, the personality is no longer required for that. The personality doesn't cease to exist in the sense that that lifetime is retained as this strand you know, and the memories and the people you've loved and all these things go on forever, you know, and, you know, you can come back to it in the sense of, you know, you're going to greet your loved ones when they cross over, you're going to see your loved ones when you cross over, all those things remain. But what's going to happen is that it, when you're, as your soul progresses, that personality becomes irrelevant. And so it, it becomes a hindrance if holding on to that personality becomes real important to you or anything that's attached to it, whether it's money, wealth, name, fame, anything like that, because none of those things will matter anymore. You are entering into um, soul existence. And so it's back to, back to the source. Um, and so all of these identities, these uh, things that we um, identify with, these um, attachments, they, they do, they hold us back, they hinder us. Um, and so how, how does uh, like what we're gonna be doing with the next session uh, lead into this right here? Because <laughs> now we're well, getting into the good stuff. Right. Well, what we're going to do in the next session when we come back is we're going to be talking some more, a little bit about these things, but we're going to be preparing next for a hypnotic journey into the Pure Lands. And what we're going to try to do here is take you into the Pure Lands where the masters reside. I want to take you to a place that is your special place in the Pure Lands because everyone can create their own special safe abode there that you can visit. Then you want to um, connect with your master and receive energy from that master and any guidance or information that he may want, he or she may want to give you. And also um, kind of uh, go through this world and kind of see what what uh, what you discover there, because it's different for everyone. So we're gonna we're gonna change it up a little bit in in terms of the way that I would normally do this for one on one. We would have you telling me everything you're seeing. Um, we might do a little bit of that, but then we're gonna also give a little extra time so people can correlate what they're seeing. And then we will be guiding through because um, when I'm doing this one-on-one -on -one with people, we can let where the journey is taking the individual person guide where we're going next. But this is where we're going to try to direct the soul into not just where the masters are, but the energy of it and bring that back and have uh, implanted um, these places of refuge 
where uh, you can actually touch into very easily then in your conscious waking life whenever it is needed. And that's what we're going to try to do then. So we'll be talking a little bit more about the gold and, um, and then we're going to try to take a, an extended journey to the pure lands and go visit some people. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So that's, um, that's the plan. And, um, so I look forward to uh, seeing you after the break and, uh, we will continue our ascent of the stairway here of ancient sacred texts. Let me see if we have some good parting words of gold for this. Aha. Let's do this. So from Baha'u'llah, this is an excellent thing to go take this into contemplation as you're going through your break um, here. Love is a light that never dwelleth in a heart possessed by fear. And here also, I'm gonna add this to it as well. This is from the flower ornament scripture, one of my favorite Buddhist scriptures. It's a Mahayana text. <laughs> Sentient beings are muddled by afflictions. Their conceptions and inclinations are not the same. According to their mental states, they perform inconceivably many acts, thereby forming the oceans of all lands. The truly awake know all things are non-dual, beyond duality, all equal, inherently pure as space, not distinguishing self and non-self, as the ocean reflects beings' bodies and is therefore called ocean, enlightenment reflects all mental patterns and hence is called true awareness. Beautiful gold, beautiful gold. So have a great break. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. And I'll see you back here in a few minutes, Brian. Okay, thanks, Marilyn. Thank you, Brian.